Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Faith to life. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've been reading Philippians lately, the happiest book in the Bible. And yet Paul wrote that when he was in prison. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hmm. That is the Savior we worship today and every day. Have a great show today. Rob Louie, the executive editor of The Daily Signal, is uh, already on the line. He's going to be coming on the program in just a minute. I get an update from what's going on in Washington, D.C., and then also Danielle Strickland will be with me uh, in the second part of this hour. And she's written a book uh, that is called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. And then in hour two, uh, Bob Muller is going to be joining me. We're going to talk about relationships that might be just a little bit strained because you're spending a lot of time together. So let me take 60 seconds and bring on Rob. Hi, I'm Jim Daly with Focus on the Family. With the coronavirus outbreak, it's critically important to wash your hands thoroughly, not touch your face, and practice social distancing. If you're a parent, it's also important to help your children cope with the stress and fear an event like this can bring. So remain calm, explain to your family all you're doing to protect them, and finally, slow down and enjoy your family's time together by having some fun. Remember, together we'll get through this. Are you in need of encouragement? The Max Lucado Encouraging Word Study Bible combines contextual margin notes and insights from best-selling author and pastor Max Lucado. This resource includes a 30-day reading plan designed to help you form a habit of spending time reading the scriptures, a daily devotional to keep you going, and articles that bring people of the Bible to life. With a helpful topical index of verses for every situation, you'll find answers and encouragement in the Max Lucado Encouraging Word Study Bible. We're giving away two copies each week. Enter to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. Oh, I'm getting ready to reopen America. I'm, I'm, I'm ready and, and ready and anxious for it to happen when the time is right because we're combating this uh, coronavirus and everyone needs to get on board to make this happen. And the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission Chairman, Kay James, who's the president of the Heritage Foundation, she's got this incredible um, uh, group of people I think it's up to 17 of the top experts and thinkers. And we've been talking uh, about it with Rob Bluey. And I want to find out what is going on and what are some of the updates. You can find this at the uh, website, coronaviruscommission.com. Here to give us updates is our friend Rob Bluey. Rob, welcome. It's great to be with you, Bill. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like you're uh, in the studio with me. Well, we're trying something new today. You that's know, a, we're, we're all working from home. And so, uh, you know, we. That's <laughs> have a technology to adapt, upgrade. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. What does a guy like you do when you need a haircut? I haven't had a haircut since February. <laughs> uh, All right. You know, I had to I had to do a TV interview yesterday for uh, WJLA, a station here in Washington D.C. And uh, uh, my family was uh, got a got a kick out of me trying to you know get the hair to <laughs> stay down. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, doing radio is much more enjoyable. In that yeah, it's respect. a lot a lot less stressful, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah. So what's happened in the last week at the uh, on the on the coronavirus commission website? Well, we have uh, we are in the process of developing the next set of recommendations. So nice. I don't have anything qu- ready to share quite uh, today, but uh, certainly next week I expect that we'll have uh, we'll have a new set of recommendations for your listeners to hear. Uh, you might recall that the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission was established to really give a private sector uh, focus to uh, what we um, you know really uh, are facing in this country. And so, in in our case, we brought together business owners, we brought together medical doctors, we brought to people brought together people who have experience in government. And the first set of recommendations focused on some of the short-term decisions that need to be made here within the next uh, few weeks and certainly months about how we reopen America, get uh, people back to work, uh, and do so in a way that's safe. The next set of recommendations are going to be focused on how do we expand the science? Uh, There's been a lot of focus on that. Uh, It seems that the White House is talking quite a bit about testing this week. And also, uh, what, what can we do on an international scale? Because this is not just the United States that's grappling with this. Uh, there are a lot of countries that aren't as well off as the United States that are going to be struggling. And also, we have some big decisions that we're going to need to make about international travel. So those are some of the things that the commission is grappling with right now this week and uh, what the next set of recommendations next Tuesday will look like. Uh, the next meeting is, uh, is Tuesday, May 5th. Yeah. Rob, do you know the exact uh, purpose of the testing? Is it to collect data to see who's had it or who has it, who may not uh, be showing any symptoms? Well, two types of testing, Bill. Uh, so there's the testing where uh, we we can find out whether or not you're immune, and that's what's still in development. And I think that's going to help uh, reassure people, uh, people who may have been asymptomatic and not shown any signs of having COVID-19. It'll provide them with an opportunity uh, maybe to have some, some reassurance. Uh, we don't know how long that immunity lasts. Uh, that's uh, still too early to tell. Um, and then there's the testing, you know, that's being done every day. I think we're what we're up over five million tests now, or something in that range. Uh, that's the testing where um, you know you're you're going to a pharmacy or you're going to the doctor's office, and they're taking the swab and they're telling you whether or not you test positive or negative. And those are also really important. But uh, but there are some who want to do universal testing, uh, meaning that you test. Americans every day. In fact, I read it all hmm. the time in the news media that it's it's too soon to go back to work uh, and and re, you know resume our activities uh, because we don't have enough. We're not doing enough testing yet, and I think that that's uh, we need to carefully balance that because I don't think we're we're going to be in a position where we can test everybody every single day. Um, so what we need to do is be smart about how we proceed. And one way to do that is to do some targeted testing, uh, some random samples. Uh, so perhaps uh, we, you know it would be beneficial to know uh, how a local community uh, might be uh, affected by COVID-19 by doing a random sampling. And so if you, you people who aren't showing system, symptoms uh, might get tested as well. Uh, that would give us some better statistics and maybe some more reassurance uh, just how, how widespread this really is. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your views on some of the uh, losses of liberties that some people are feeling is happening all across America? 
Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a, a big scoop that the Daily Signal actually had yesterday. My colleague Fred Lucas uh, was uh, reporting on At- Attorney General William Barr's memo to U.S. attorneys, uh, which was encouraging them to be on the lookout for for different states that might be cracking down, might be doing so in a heavy-handed way on the civil liberties that we enjoy as Americans. Bill, you and I have talked from the beginning of this uh, how Americans enjoy their freedoms more so uh, and are accustomed to it more so than the Chinese, for instance. The Chinese when they were dealing with this, uh, a lockdown literally meant a lockdown. You might not be able to leave your home or apartment and there would be armed guards on the street uh, ensuring that you didn't. Uh, I still see people walking out in my neighborhood. I still see people going to the grocery store. Uh, there are some you know, essential businesses that are obviously still up and running and we're grateful for the work that they're doing. And so uh, in some places, not all, uh, you know, whether it's a, a mayor or whether it's a governor, uh, they have been uh, pretty... Um, pretty critical. Uh, for instance, uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York City has uh, ha- has called on people to serve as snitches, you know, to to mm. rat out and, and uh, inform the government of people who may be disobeying things. And I think that, uh, you know, this police state mentality that we, we may find ourselves in is, um, you know, it, it is not good uh, for, for our country. Uh, there are Americans who, who don't like it. Uh, there are Americans who recognize the need to do it temporarily in order to protect ourselves. But I think there's going to be there's going to come a time when, you know, we probably are going to have to uh, face the facts and, and, and change our behaviors because the American people are not going to tolerate it forever. No, they're not. Um... And when I hear news reports about there's no deaths in China in Wuhan the last couple of days, I go, how is that possible? I mean, do you trust anything that comes out of China? It's it's really remarkable to it, think that uh, yeah that they're <laughs> they're, they're still uh, trying to peddle this information. Um, a country of 1.3 billion people, and uh, and and certainly I I think that some of the anecdotal reports that we've seen out of China uh, suggest that they're not being as transparent as they should. Yeah, and speaking of transparent, when I think of this uh, mystery around uh, Kim Jong Un, who hasn't been seen for a couple of weeks and has missed some significant events. And, of course, you'll probably never find out uh, in a timely fashion what's going on because that's the way they keep everything so close to the, the vest when it comes to giving out information. But I was looking at some articles uh, yesterday, and I came across, again, the reminder of Otto Warmbier, who was obviously a prisoner over there for a while. And they returned him in this completely broken-down vegetative state, and he died a couple of days later. And then the North Korean government sent the U.S. a bill for $2 million for hospital care. It's unbelievable, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I read that for the first time. I thought, this is who we're dealing with. Right. Well, yeah, and, and as the American people are obviously focused on, on COVID-19 and the coronavirus, uh, what's transpiring in North Korea is, is, is truly uh, fascinating. Uh, as you know, my, my colleagues at the Heritage Foundation, uh, we, we have an Asian study center, and we tend to do a lot of work uh, on that part of the world, given, um, given you know, some of the threats that we face. And so uh, the the, the mystery surrounding Kim Jong-un is certainly fascinating, and we don't really know a whole lot of information. Uh, North Korea is even more secretive than China, after all. But uh, but that particular case that you mentioned uh, was, was truly a tragic one, and it just goes to show that that's how some, some of these countries uh, will behave toward the United States, and we can't tolerate it. Yeah, so we're really not going to know what China is telling us, if we can believe it. And I really like the idea that we're going to get pharmaceuticals and drugs uh, manufactured back in the U.S. again. 
Well, yes, that supply chain is a is a big issue. Yeah. Um, when, when Congress comes back into session, Bill, I, I think you're going to see uh, a situation where uh, you know they are are focused on this. Um, you know, there are certain trade implications, so we we want to make sure that we're we're still protecting free trade and allowing uh, the United States to have the supply it needs. But I I think certainly it's it's a worthwhile debate and a conversation that uh, is probably a long time overdue. Mm-hmm. Rob Louis, my guest. We are going to take a little break. We'll be back in ninety seconds with lots more. Head over to coronaviruscommission.com if you want to learn more about this uh, wonderful, interesting study they're doing. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Rob Louie is my guest, as he always is on Tuesdays. Rob, what's the... uh, what are some of the stress fractures like in Washington, D.C. right now? Emotions got to be running so high, higher than ever. They certainly are. You know, I think what we've seen in, in the course of the past few weeks is, is, a, is a big change. Uh, President Trump started out uh, in this crisis with, with very high polling numbers. And, uh, and I think you're, you're starting to see him, him ad- adapt and adjust. Uh, the briefings have become much shorter. He, he's not spending as much time. Uh, the partisan rhetoric uh, that, that seemed to uh, fade away. And remember, Congress was able to do this massive uh, uh, stimulus bill without much resistance. Um, and, uh, and that's starting to change. Uh, you now have uh, that, that squabbling taking place again. So I think people are, are, getting, um, are, are, are get, getting more accustomed to going back to the old ways. I'm not sure that those old ways are necessarily always the best. One of the things that the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission stresses in its report is the importance of uh, finding uh, uh, bipartisanship and, and a certain level of compromise uh, between the parties because we can't be at, uh, at loggerheads here if we're going to, to work on behalf of the American people. And you and I have talked uh, plenty of times, Bill, about the significance of, uh, of some of these, these debates that we're simply not able to engage on because there's so much division in this country. And I think it's unfortunate and the American people end up losing out in the end. Uh, that can't be the case here, uh, dealing with a, with a crisis like uh, coronavirus. And so we've got to figure out a way to move past some of those differences. And, uh, and it's going to be hard. This is an election year after all. We seem to you know, uh, be dealing with uh, uncertain times. But, uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's really important that we, we put uh, those differences aside and really focus on helping those who need it. It's not all government that's going to come in. There's a lot of uh, faith-based institutions and the private sector that are helping out. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, state and local governments will be leading the way in this recovery. Rob, I saw on uh, television a couple of California doctors that were talking about how important herd immunity is for this disease. And they got their YouTube video quickly removed by Google. So what I, I think one of your um, writers, uh, Kevin, wrote about that. That's right. Uh, Dr. Kevin Pham, uh, yeah. a medical doctor himself. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, this is one of those things that um, that I, I increasingly hear a lot of people talking about because Sweden uh, has has tried it. Normally, it seems that uh, those on the left are, are embracing Sweden and its policies. Uh, certainly, Bernie Sanders and and uh, and them have have pointed to Sweden as a model, but not in this case, apparently. And I think it's an interesting uh, conversation to have. I don't think I always err on the side of of more transparent. We we're just talking about China being. Trans- 
transparent. And, right. and here you have social media platforms, which, you know, the Daily Signal has run into its share of problems and the Heritage Foundation has as well, uh, you know, particularly on issues uh, related to religious belief or faith and, and our religious freedom. Uh, we know that some of these Silicon Valley firms don't share those beliefs, but I think that they should be platforms in which we're allowed to express them. And and on an issue like this, uh, shutting down people who, who may have dissenting views um, and talking about herd immunity, uh, you know, if you're doing so in a responsible way, I certainly wouldn't hope uh, that you're um, you're you're blocking others from reading that. Uh, let let's let the American people uh, make a decision, and and that's why we have to all be good news consumers. That's why it's so important to to listen to programs like this where you get a diversity of views and uh, and, and consume different news sites. I I don't tell people that they have to only read the Daily Signal. I, I think it should be one of their many uh, many items in their news diet. But uh, social media firms seem to have have gone a little bit too far uh, with regard to this lately. Mm-hmm. Rob, I think I read somewhere about the election in November and that there was the uh, discussion that it might get delayed or the president had the authority to do that. Did I understand that correctly or is that way off? am I way off on that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to this issue, Bill. Okay. I, I don't. I, I I think that the courts are are probably going to be factoring into this. So you, you go back to Wisconsin, which of course um, you know went forward, and, uh, and and the debate that surrounded it, uh, and and how there were so many last minute decisions. So I, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know that we have all the answers yet. I, I think that we're probably all praying that. When when the time comes, uh, you know, we will be in a situation where where we can hopefully have a, a, a semi normal uh, situation. But uh, it's it's so hard to predict what's going to, to to be in the future. And and I think the thing that concerns me most is uh, is when you hear some of the doctor doctors talk about how, you know the the mixture of the flu with COVID nineteen and what that could mean uh, in the winter months and uh, and how that could uh, you know hurt us uh, in, in ways that uh, we're not experiencing now here in the spring and summer season. Mm-hmm. Rob, if you were a, a guest speaker at an eighth grade uh, journalism class and you were trying to explain to the class how journalism works in the country today, what would you say about what's happening uh, with this these allegations against uh, Vice President Biden and how this woman has come forward saying that she was basically assaulted by him, but there is no... Uh, there's, there's no... Uh, press covering it except uh the right side yeah it's it's really uh it shows the double standard uh you don't have to go back too far to look at examples of of justice brett kavanaugh and what he experienced um and in those cases i think that the 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 evidence against Justice Kavanaugh was, was even more uh, circumspect, and um, and and certainly he had his own uh, information to to refute it. Uh, but that didn't stop the news media from from aggressively pursuing it and and really dragging him his name through the mud uh, to the point where he had to appear before the Senate committee and uh, and, and 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 testify. Uh, you know. Quite emotionally, as you'll recall. So oh, yeah. I, I think it's only I think it's only fair uh, for those people who who said that we should take these uh, seriously uh, for them to do so. Uh, it doesn't appear to be what's happening now, Bill. I don't know how much of it is a factor of everybody's focused on the coronavirus and uh, maybe not devoting as much attention to the to the presidential race. I mean, certainly it's not getting the coverage that it, it once was. Uh, but I I I expect that probably as the months go on, this story's not going away. And you will see more of it. Okay. Um, and as the as new information has surfaced, including this uh, this phone call to Larry King live uh, from 
um, from the, the woman's mother. I, you know, there's, there's just information that, that I, I think will, will come to light in the future. Uh, but yes, uh, there's always room for media criticism. And, uh, and I encourage people to hold their, their news outlets accountable. Uh, after all, I mean, that's one of the things that makes this country great is that we're all afforded that freedom of speech and freedom of the press if you want to start your own. Mm-hmm. And what kind of momentum would a mail-in ballot election, uh, what, what kind of momentum is that getting, if any? It's getting some momentum for sure. And uh, I think it's even getting some momentum in some Republican circles because they fear that that's the direction that we're headed and they better be prepared for it in the event that uh, that that's what happens. Uh, as you probably have, have, have heard or might suspect, you know, conservatives are skeptical of moving in this direction. Uh, they feel that it's uh, it's rife for fraud and, and abuse. And, uh, and our own Hans von Spakovsky, who maintains a, a, a database of election fraud, uh, you know, is somebody who's been on the front lines uh, warning about mail-in ballots. Um, so uh, there are some states that have moved in that direction. But, uh, but I, I, I'm just, you know, may call me old-fashioned, but I, Bill, I, I tell you, I much prefer to be the one who puts my own ballot in the machine and not trust the U.S. Postal Service with having to deliver it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And then what do you anticipate – in the summertime as far as debates or conventions? Well, you know, President Trump has already said that, uh, you know, unless the rules change for the debates, he's not interested in participating. Now, that would be a first, and I, wow. I expect that he ultimately will. But uh, but I think he's, you know, making an, making some early, early stakes to say, look, uh, these uh, have been skewed in the past. Uh, we, we've seen what's happened, uh, and he rightfully so uh, should should ask for some changes. In terms of conventions, uh, I think you're going to see big changes. Uh, this is they're not going to be the uh, long drawn out affairs that uh, they, you know consume everybody in the political world's life for a week. I think probably fewer people will be in attendance. Heck, it might even just be the delegates uh, that are that are there. If you still have to maintain some social distancing, you're not going to be able to fit all those people in the arena. Um, so it's uh, it's still too early to say. It seems that on the convention front, Democrats, uh, which are in meeting in Milwaukee, uh, will be you know they have to go early uh, earlier because they're they're not the incumbent party. Uh, they seem to be in the position of m- being more flexible and maybe doing something virtually. Uh, President Trump, though, and Republicans have insisted they'll be in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and uh, and be there that last week of August. So we shall see if that actually plays out. But I suspect there will be big changes in store. Mm-hmm. And how is the homeschooling going? Homeschooling is going a little bit better this okay. week. So after <laughs> after several failed attempts on the part of our, our county, Bill, you should know uh, Fairfax County is one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. In fact, a, a lot of the counties surrounding Washington, D.C., not surprisingly, because of all the government workers, uh, tend to do quite well. So when our, our school district, which has 189,000 students, uh, which seems to me to be a little bit too big, perhaps, um, you know, was unable to get distance learning off off the ground uh, for several weeks. Uh, I think we waited four weeks uh, and then failed in its first few attempts. Uh, they decided to let the school districts themselves, the, sco- the individual schools, so, so my kid's elementary school is now doing it on its own. They seem to have figured it out. So wouldn't you know that uh, it's, it's that age-old conservative principle that, you know, those who know best are those who are closest to home. Right. Uh, we should have just done this from the beginning and not tried to centralize everything. So the kids are getting some better instruction this week, and we're trying to supplement it as, as best we can as parents. Oh, terrific. Rob, thank you so much for the update on the uh, coronaviruscommission.com, and look forward to our discussion next week. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Rob Louis has been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. 
We're going to take a break, but when we come back, and we will come back, you're going to hear Danielle Strickland and her new book, Rebear. back to the show. Really glad to invite back Danielle Strickland. She is uh, an author and speaker and really has quite a story. And every time she comes on, I learn something. She's got a new book out, uh, which is no surprise, called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. Coming all the way from Toronto, Canada, Danielle Strickland. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, So your book, Together, Better Together, uh, let's talk about uh, the problem that exists, that what is it we have to heal? Yeah, I mean, I think the relationship between women and men have been has been broken probably since day one. I think it's one of the deepest wounds of the world. And really, the reason why I wrote the book was because we were in the, that season of Me Too movement. There were all of these sort of leaders that were crashing and burning, being sort of publicly exposed with harassment and Uh, power abuses. And there is also just a real genuine lack of female voices and female leaders around leadership tables uh, across North America. And I just wanted to have a conversation about why and how we might be able to fix that. That's um, interesting. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to get your, um, your book because uh, I'm no, I know that we are looking for fresh ideas. I know this me too movement has caused a lot of damage and I think men um, can be uh, nervous about what it's like to be back in the environment in this in this time. Yeah, and I think wherever you're at a season like this, uh, where there's kind of this crisis that's been exposed. So it's not like you know the Me Too movement didn't make stuff up; it just exposed right. a lot of things that women were dealing with for centuries and centuries. And so it's kind of reaches a tipping point, and then you kind of have this opportunity. And I think for men especially you know, we need some solutions. Like, what do we do? How do we move forward? And how do we do it together? Are we really stuck against each other? Like, is this how it's going to be? It's going to be a fight forever? Or is there a way that we can move forward together? And of course, you know, as Christians, this is the ministry of the gospel. We're called to reconciliation and to collaboration. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And all of this really matters right now. Danielle, the corruption between men and women, obviously, I love the reference you made that might be the oldest wound uh, that's around, which is just the fracture between men and women that go way back. Um, but there's also this idea that um, we need to uh, still have uh, men and women who enjoy being around each other. Uh, we get to know each other. People have sparks and they say, gosh, let's go out and have lunch. And that's a good thing of male and females. But the corruption that comes in where there's a power and oppression and all that. Uh, how do we split those two? How do how do we divide that camp? Yeah, I mean, I think this is interesting and comes to in the book. I talk about the way we view each other, and how you know the way we view each other. Of course, this is you know really a biblical idea of repentance is the word metanoia. That's the Greek word for repentance, and it means to change the way we see, which will in turn change the way we think. 
And, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing, of course, at the center of this with Jesus, who's probably, you know, is remarkable, the best and most empowering leader the world's ever seen. And in a culture that was so much more patriarchal than the one that we live in, very male dominated. Mm -hmm. And you see Jesus never used external codes to dictate his behavior between people. Like he, he, you know, there were those codes, like we would call it like the Billy Graham rule that would be in place to protect men, male leaders from females. Uh, or to try to create some sort of integrity. Again, it's an outside-in sort of a rule. Integrity is something that's fostered on the inside out, not the outside in. We have these boundaries, we have these things, but when we when we build these external boundaries on the basis of something that no one can control, so like gender, um, you know, it leads itself to oppression because what we do is we distance ourselves from each other. So then it's no wonder we don't know how to work together because we've virtually been living in segregated uh, spheres of ministry. So we see this a lot in the church. I know we say we don't do this, but you know, women's ministries over here, men's ministries over here, children's ministries over here. And then when it comes to us working together, no one knows how. And of course we use fear as this constant, like the worst case scenario. Uh, and the reason fear feeds on this uh, setup is because we've lived virtually segregated. So it's rooted on fear. So we actually have to think about like, why are we so afraid of each other? Mm -hmm. Like, where's the fear based? Where is the prejudice? What, what lens am I seeing and what's feeding it? And then how do I actually see a different way? Let's go back to the healthy boundaries part. What's, what are the healthy boundaries? And then when is it smart to f figure out in church how we need to work together better? Yeah, again, this is motive, not like, so healthy boundaries, I think, are around your own life, what you need to help you be uh, good, to help you be true, to help you be faithful. And I would say really good, healthy boundaries are things like transparency, uh, are things like collaboration, are things like team. Um, so I would say, you know, one of the models that's being challenged in these days, which I'm so thankful for, is this idea of like a male at the top you know, this sort of single man leadership style, which if you, you know, if you want to go back with me in Genesis, you'll know that there's only one time that God sort of looked at the created order that he was doing and said, whoa, this is not a good idea. And the one time that happened was when a man was leading by himself. And I don't think there was anything wrong with men, quite the contrary, I have a house full of them. But I think the idea of one male in a leadership, you know, by himself is so not in keeping with the image of God. God is community. God mm -hmm. is team. God is Trinity. So I think in some ways, a lot of the boundary models don't are built around one man sure. at the top. And so I actually think let's challenge the whole thing. Let's not just try to readapt to other, but let's challenge the whole thing. Is that the right way to lead? And we're sort of seeing leaders crash and burn, unsustainable burdens. You see people distant, never felt more lonely. You keep hearing that it's so lonely at the top. And I always think it's not lonely at the very top. God's not lonely. Uh, God's not a CEO trapped in an office in the top floor of heaven. You know, he's Trinity, he's community, he's team. Uh, he's collaborating all of the time. Um, so I think even just rethinking, like, what do we think about leadership? What are we modeling to the world? Do we want to image God to the world? Then we better image God a different way. And God is imaged best through collaboration and community and connectedness and partnership. So let's figure out how to do that. Those questions, as we ask them and answer them, will also answer some of these gender-based, fear-based, exclusionary practices that we all have. That's really interesting. Now, Danielle, when we think of the way that God created us in his own unique way, complementary design, male and female, 
and he said when he got done creating it that it was very good. So how have we wandered and fractured to the point where we now have to figure out a way to get back to that uh, very good part? You know, what's really interesting is that um, it breached right at the beginning. You know, it, it breached through as soon as selfishness enters in, uh, we are disconnected from each other. And I would say that selfishness is the root, you know, of what we call when we call sin, right? Just putting mm-hmm. us at the center. And I would say that's manifested not just between our us and our relationship with God, but it's also whenever you put us at the center of our relationships with other people. Again, this is a really good challenge for leaders because even if you're creating boundaries that are good for you, but they come at the expense of other people, you might need to revisit what kind of a life, what kind of a leadership that you're modeling. So we see this brokenness at the fall and um, this idea of hierarchy and suspicion and sort of lordship and like one person over the other, that only comes in after the consequences of sort of selfishness at the heart of uh, the human experiment. Um, so I would say that we need to we need to return to an original view. So in the book, I talk about starting with the future. So whenever we have this conversation about women and men, you know, traditionally what happens is movements to get traction for like, yay, we're getting it right. We'll dig back into their history and they'll kind of use that as a momentum to like, say we could do it again. The problem with issues like women and men, of course, is the longer we dig back, the further we go, the worse it is. You know, it just goes, it's just really bad news. If you look back, there's not really any good collaboration models apart from the person of Jesus and the early church that can help us sort of sort this thing out. So What I suggest we do instead is sort of what Jesus suggested we do, which is start with the future. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is, what does it look like to be restored, uh, to live this new humanity? What does a good relationship with a a woman and a man look like? What do you, what kind of world do you want for your children? If you have a little girl and she grows up, do you want her to suspect that every man is probably a potential harasser, abuser, or jerk? Or do you think there's another way that we could live? That's very interesting, Danielle. Let me take a little break. When we come back, I want to hear lots more about that. Danielle Strickland is my guest. The book we're talking about is called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. Be right back. to the show. So glad to have Danielle Strickland as my guest. She's written a book called, among many, called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. And as we were, uh, right before we went to break, Danielle, we were talking about how that transformed future would look like. And I would love for you to uh, pick up where you left off. Hey, thanks. I mean, I I just think it's a really great exercise to begin to imagine what the world could like mm-hmm. look like if men and women's relationships were restored. So in the book, I give some really specific examples of equity. You know, so so everybody with some equality, and they're they're able then to use that equality for the betterment of the world. So you know, just even the UN says that if there's one millennial development goal that could change everything for the planet, it would be the empowerment of women to the workforce. 
So, I mean, just think about that. That's the UN. That's not even, but I mean, if you look at the Bible, that's, Jesus has been saying like empower, 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 right? Like right, right from the get-go, he's one of the most empowering leaders that you'll ever meet um, and have ever seen. So this idea of empowerment, of people being able to use the gifts freely that God has given them for the benefit of the world in business, in finance. They say if we were to achieve gender equity, which meant women around the world could actually enter the workforce, we'd add $11 trillion to our global economy, mm, wow. <laughs> $11 trillion. So then you have businesses like HSBC or Goldman Sachs. They're all like their number one aim right now is gender equity, not because it's popular, not because it's some sort of left-wing liberal agenda, but because it's smart. <laughs> it's not like they're like goodwill businesses, like, gee, we should give back to the world. It's not compassion. It's just smart. And it's the future, uh, the best way to work is with a collaboration between women and men. So there's all kinds of example. You want to eliminate poverty. You want to end world hunger. Uh, Mohammed Yunus, who's one of the microcredit, you know, uh, guys that has created a way to really push back poverty in the globe. He only loans to women because he said that equity is at the heart of the freedom for communities in impoverished areas. Um, so, I mean, all the experts everywhere says this is a good idea. And as I was researching this, I was thinking, wow, isn't this amazing that everyone's finally coming to this idea that, you know, gender equity is at the heart of a better world. And that's actually one of the most beautiful things Jesus ushered into the world in the beginning. The church, it turns out yet once more, one more time, has the answer to one of the deepest needs of the globe. Mm, yeah, gender equity, of course. But when we think about uh, being complementary, uh, how is it that the uh, competitiveness has jo- has gotten into the discussion, and we're not acting as comp- complementarian as we are competitive with with each other. Yeah, and I would probably use the word collaborative, just because okay. I think comp- complementarian has been kind of used as this weird distortion of equality, like we're different, uh, and that's not only just in gender, but it's also in race, right? So. Um, I think we're probably more the same. I think difference is a human quality. So every single human being is different and how we deal with difference is what actually matters. Not that we're different. We're all different genders. Just one way we're different. We're different in a thousand. I've got three boys, one husband, and all three boys are different from each other. So difference is at the heart of humanity, but how we deal with difference. So if we see difference through a lens of fear, then we're going to see difference as a threat. If we see difference through the lens of faith, which is like around giftedness and diversity and the incredible creative diversity that God built into created order, including our own humanity, then we see it as an opportunity. And that leads us to collaboration. So competitive, uh, the competitive streak is about one person lording it over another. Who's more important or what difference are we afraid of or who doesn't belong? Those sort of attributes. But um, this idea of collaboration, that difference is a strength, you know, and this is what we're discovering with gender specifically is difference is a strength. It's not a weakness. And uh, you can ask Nike as they run their ads to women everywhere and have seen their scales, you know, the the sales just go through the roof uh, as consumers are more and more uh, in the female department. But 51 percent of the world is female. So if we're going to reach them, if we care about them, if we're trying to impact the globe, then uh, getting to women is and empowering women and leading together with women is going to be central to that conversation. Mm-hmm. Danielle, we still have about five minutes left, so I'm going to ask a question, which might be the kind of question I would ask with uh, 45 seconds left to go. But as I get to the end of your book, and I were to ask you this question, um, in conclusion, I believe that, what would you say? I believe that women and men collaborating together 
will change the world. Okay. Fair enough. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I believe that the gospel, the good news, is a gospel of empowerment. It is a gospel of reconciliation. That's how Paul put it. Yeah. So that Jesus, and when I was writing this book, the only way I could figure out how we could heal the divide, like, because it is so, and I mean, I try not to focus on the realities of the Me Too movement, that one in three girls will be sexually harassed in her life. You know, just the sheer stats of like what are facing and and women on a regular basis. Uh, the, the most excited about her future, the most confident a woman is, according to all the research, is at nine years old. <laughs> so a woman is the most confident in her life at nine years old. If you have a daughter, this is really bad news for you. Because you're at nine years old. After that, it's only going to get harder for her. Uh, high school is going to be hard. Puberty is going to be hard. Boys in high school are going to be terrible. And then it's going to be college in the world. So there are more men named John CEOs in America than women put together. <laughs> so we're talking about like a major imbalance, imbalances of power. And I think we don't often really think that through. I think we're like, oh, yeah, it's a shame some women were abused, 19 million of them just overnight in 40 days, telling their own story. I think it's so much more prevalent than any of us really fully understand. And so I but I try not to concentrate on that because the only and the only way I can figure out how we can move out of victimhood and into like newness of life and the only way how I can figure we can move out of guilt and into newness of life is through the cross. Yeah, I don't know any other solution to this deep, deep wound apart from Jesus. So this is where the gospel becomes so relevant to today's world, is how do we actually have reconciled relationships of mutuality without fear, without competition, without, you know, disparaging each other, without being afraid of each other? And of course, the answer is Jesus. Look at Jesus. Like, look at a place where he doesn't see you through the lens of victim or he doesn't see you through the lens of perpetrator or he doesn't see you through the lens of guilt or he doesn't see you through the lens of shame, but he sees you as the sacred human that you are and creates this way in which we can be a new humanity together. So I, that's my big hope that the world and the church, here's my big hope for the church, that we could model this to the world that's deeply hungry for it right now, that knows what it needs but doesn't know how to get there. We, we know how to get, I know how to get there. And I hope the church knows how to get there. And the best thing we could do, like Jesus said, to shine like this light on a city on a hill is to model equity to the world. This is what it looks like when people don't see diversity as a threat. Mm-hmm. So Danielle, what is your, what is your primary hope for women today? I know you want them to, to have equality as do I, um, equal pay, of course, all of that, uh, be in positions of authority why not? Right. So what do you feel is uh, not clicking right now? Is it is it males being predatory towards women? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole slew of things. I think it would be really my hope for every human being would be that they would be recognized as contributors with beautiful, diverse gifts uh, to the making of a better world. So that would be my hope for every single person, uh, not just women. I think my hope is that women wouldn't be just be seen primarily through the lens of their gender but through the lens of their humanity, what they're offering, their gifts, their abilities, their opportunities. So I would say that my hope for women is that they would have opportunities to use their gifts for the betterment of the world. And that looks like 
leadership when they have the gift of leadership. And that looks like serving when they have the gift of serving. And that looks like, you know, business when they have the gift of business mm-hmm. and finance. And so I think it's for me just a freedom for humanity to all of humans, but particularly females to be seen as humans who can f- contribute to a better world. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Do you think that there are some uh, positions and occupations that are better suited for women and some that are better suited for men? Or do you think it's all one and they're all equal? Well, here's what I think. I mean, I know just off the top of my head, you know, let me say I pick 10 or five women and five men and they all have different gifts. And it would be ludicrous for me to think this person, my friend Bill, would be a good accountant because he's terrible at math. And then it would be ludicrous for my friend Sue you know, not to be leading because she like leads and she's going to make something out of nothing. You know what I mean? Her mm-hmm. gifts are just clear. So th- that's, I think this gender specification is unhelpful. I think it's, you know, if we were to fill that gap in with any other thing, you know, if we were to say, you know, black people are better suited for these roles than white people are. I mean, we've been there before. How'd that work out for us? No, not good. Yeah. So why do we do it with gender? I don't understand. It's a very similar thing. Like you can have a room full of sometimes I have more in common with women in the room and sometimes I don't. Gender is just one thing that is a part of the makeup of me as a human being. It's not the primary thing and it's not the only thing. It's just one thing. And I think we need to put it in its proper place. I'm not saying there isn't a difference. I'm just saying that that difference isn't the defining difference of me as a human being. Mm -hmm. You know, Whoever's gifted and talented and has the desire to change the world, go ahead and do it. But, you know, of course, there's always a price that comes with everything, right? Yeah. Whether you're male or female. Yeah, I was so grateful that I had my mom more present in my life than absent. You know, although it's funny because my dad, you know, my dad was absent dad and my mom was present. And I loved it. My mom's amazing. But this time, my husband and I have a very shared parenting style. And this is one of the subjects in the book is how much my boys have you know, really loved and grown with a male presence in the home. Oh, yeah. And then also how much my husband has opened uh, as a parent, like has opened in loving, nurturing relationships with the boys that he never had when he was growing up and I never had when we were growing up. So it's it's also like this, wow, this is a great gift to us. Like at first we just thought we have to get, we have to figure this out because I'm going to be away a bit. And then what we discovered is, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is such a gift to have two parents uh, equally invested in this parenting role is a deep, deep gift. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I have a friend who spent a lot of time with his kids when they were growing up and they were having uh, brag about your your parents' day in terms of what they do. Yeah. And his sons were pretty young and my friend is a very accomplished guy. And the kids said, well, I I don't really... I don't really know what my dad does. All I know is when we come home from school, he's waiting at the door for us. Oh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, I my mean, gosh, and, yes. Yeah, and just to think of, like, what that could mean. Even, oh, so that's oh. one of the things I talk about in, in sort of this shared collaborative models of leadership is how even at home we win. You know, oh, we win exactly. with two, two people invested, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm a fan of, you know, equal opportunity, and, and I'm I love that – you know, men and women can both do jobs well, um, but I always sometimes think political correctness comes in and sort of uh, does more harm than good. Yeah, I mean, I I think, yeah, I think absolutely sometimes we lose our common sense for just some yeah. sort of weird reason. But I, I also think this is a good illustration of sort of the way that we view things sometimes as we instantly go to what's most familiar to us or we go to that difference that we're most aware of. 
instead of seeing things through a more holistic framework, right? Like, so yes, maybe that she was female was one component of that. And why was she in that situation? But also, you know, her height, her weight, her skill, you know, her, her, uh, you know, the seniority, how, how much experience she has. I mean, all of those things should right. weigh into the conversation, not right. just her gender. Right. right? Well, thanks for going down that little uh, rabbit trail with me. That was, yeah. uh, you know, not in your book, but it was something I just was thinking about. Danielle, thanks so much for doing the show. I appreciate oh, okay. you coming on, and, and it's always nice to talk to you. Yeah, it was great to collaborate with you. Fantastic. Thank, thank you so thanks. much. Danielle Strickland has been my guest, and her book is called Better Together, How Men and Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. Take a short break and be right back. Thank you for listening to Faith Radio, where you can find relevant Bible preaching and family-focused teaching to help you grow in your faith. Our mission is to lead people to Christ and nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. Find out more about your favorite programs and features and find helpful articles on relevant topics such as marriage and family, finances, health and wellness, and spiritual growth, all at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks to Danielle Strickland. And also coming up in the next hour now, Bob Moeller is going to be joining me. And I so enjoy Bob's ministry. Fourkeepsministries.org is his organization. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the things that you might be experiencing with your beloved because you're all under the same roof and it's now weeks and weeks and weeks. And are you getting on each other's nerves a little bit? Well, Bob and his wife Cheryl have written a book and got a new book coming out. And we're going to talk about how to navigate our way through a lot of time together. That's all coming up. And if you have questions for Bob, let me know what they are. You can send me a text message to 877-933-2484. But I know you're going to love this next hour coming up. Again, text questions to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.